Hi, everyone. I'm Rwanda Bell, and you are listening to Multiple Perspectives. Colleen and I work together to bring inspiring stories to our listeners doing amazing things in the sport of running in their 30s and beyond. On today's episode, we talk to the one and only Jesse Zappo, who is an artist, wellness professional, and performance running coach based right here in New York City. She is the founder and coach of Girls Run NYC and currently leads the Adidas Runners communities in North America. Jessie was instrumental in growing the New York running community with the rise of bridge runners and creating spaces for more women. I hope you enjoy learning about Jessie as much as we did. And if you do, please leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And here is our conversation with Jessie. Welcome, Jessie. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm so honored. I'm excited. How was your day so far? Did you get your run in? Did you do a little coaching? What did it look like? So Mondays, I give myself a little grace to start. I start meetings later in the day. Um, So I typically lift. So I lifted um, this morning. I have a strength program on a strength coach, which has been really nice. So I lifted and then I had a meeting with one of my coaches who's a trail coach in LA and now I'm here. Busy morning, very busy morning so far. (laughs) Wait, I love that you lift. Have you been doing this for a while or are you just getting into it now? I love to tell everyone I'm like a strength evangelist. I hired a strength coach in 2020 towards the end of the year because I was training for a trail race that I had attempted in 29 or I ran it in 2019 and my legs were just not strong enough. I mean, I finished it, but I learned that I needed more. So I hired this coach who's a friend and had been working with me on the Adidas runners project. And I've been working with him ever since. And I've never felt stronger. It's, it's really a game changer for running, especially trail. Yeah, no, that's really smart. I know a lot of runners, like they run all the time, but they always leave the weightlifting out of it. And it's so important. And uh, actually, just this past year, I started working with a coach. I did it a lot in college and then got away from it. And Mm -hmm. it's like made my running so much better. I know I inspired Colleen because she started posting photos in her apartment gym getting after it. (laughs) Totally. I mean, looking at what Rolanda did and then I, I was, I'm always, I've always been terrible at strength training. Um, But I really started when I was pregnant. I started, Mm -hmm. I couldn't really run too much. So I really just really focused on strength and it helped me so much during my delivery. And I just continued it. And I may not be the fastest, but I definitely feel the strongest I've ever been in my entire life. It just, it is a game changer. Yeah. I, my only regret is I didn't start it sooner in life, but honestly, hiring a coach too gives you so much empowerment to be able to go into a gym by yourself and know what you're doing. And yeah, it's, I, highly recommend it. And I think especially for women that are aging, um, my understanding is that it's really important for us as we're getting later in life to do strength training. So I, I love it. Well, you both inspired me to keep it up. (laughs) Yes. 
So Jesse, um, let's start at the very beginning. So you were one of eight children, which is unbelievable. I mean, I was just sharing with Roland, I have one and she knows how busy I am and how exhausted I am. So kudos to your mom. Um, how, how did that upbringing shape who you are? Did, and did that impact running in any way or, or what, how was that upbringing? It absolutely shaped who I am as a person because I'm the oldest of eight too. So I grew up at a very young age. I had to be responsible. I had to be like a helper and taking care of my younger siblings from, you know, like eight years old, probably earlier. I'm sure I was changing diapers earlier than that, but I was definitely like a right hand to my mom and my dad, a second mom to many of my younger siblings, like the really younger siblings. I actually had baby cribs in my room when I was a teenager. So I was actually very close to um, a lot of my younger siblings as a parental figure. And I grew up in Ohio. So we were in, at one point, kind of rural-ish area and just an interesting like way of life. I think where running came into play was that... I was always looking for outlets outside of the house <laughs> because being at home meant I was taking care of kids or I was cleaning um, or I was just, you know, being responsible for general like house things. Like um, I didn't really have maybe the childhood that a lot of normal kids would have because I was kind of like a parentified child. So I loved school. Like I hated missing school. I was obsessed with staying there as long as I could. And then that also meant playing sports. Um, so my first time ever running on a track was like a field sixth grade field day that you'd have at the end of the year. And I remember running the four by 100 and just having this experience of feeling like absolute freedom. And so I ran track and field from seventh grade um, onward and running was often my escape um, when things were like stressful at home. So even like as a older teenager, I would put on my running, if I needed to get away or I need to like process something, I would just and like go out and run the neighborhood or I'd go to the local track um, and run. So it was always something I did for me. Um, and I think for my own sort of mental health, um, but also because I loved sports, I always knew that running was like a foundational aspect of um, being healthy. So I just ran. When you ran when you were younger, were you like super competitive or you mostly did it as your outlet and for your like friend group and your own self-identity? Like, I'm just curious about that. I was competitive. Um, I have a competitive family. Like my, I have five brothers. Every, everyone played sports. All of us did, I think. And I loved sprinting. Like the 100, the 200 were my distances. I actually really loved the 200. My coach actually, <laughs> the problem was I was maybe so competitive that I was like injured a lot. 
I remember in ninth grade having like really, really bad shin splints and just having the coach like taping my feet up so that I could continue to run. Um, even though it was like super detrimental and my parents were not that happy because I would come home from practice, just like destroyed, um, from, from what I was doing. And at one point I remember they were like, we're going to force you to quit the track team because you're just like wearing yourself down. You're clearly like not taking care of yourself. And so they forced me to quit like at the end of my ninth grade year. But I went back the next year um, and just did some different um, sports. So I ended up doing like long jump and high jump and discus and shot put. So I just like did all the things. I probably did every event (laughs) within track and fields. But yeah, I always have had a competitive spirit. My main sport was volleyball. I had some college scholarship offers for volleyball. Oh, wow. So you were legit volleyball. Yeah, I was obsessed. Like, I I mean, I loved sports. Um, volleyball to me was like the main thing. Um, but in the end, I ended up going to art school on a scholarship in that direction. So I ended up stopped playing sports and just was like an art kid. That's so cool. Wait, Colleen, didn't you play volleyball growing up? Not like Jesse did. <laughs> we got to get a tournament going on. <laughs> I played in my little uh, 30 people in my graduating class uh, Catholic school. It was more like scrimmage, I would say, not really uh, a full team. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed it, but it wasn't on that level by any means. Um, how did you how did you graduate from the love of sprinting in 200? to what you're doing now, distance running. And now you're just sharing about a trail race. How did that, how did you transfer over to uh, distance running? You know, it was rough going. Um, I think that like by nature, I'm, I am a sprinter. Uh, I think that was what my body was designed to do. And so like transitioning into running distance was it's funny because whenever you talk to other like people that had a sprint background, it's similar that you, your first distance runs, you just go out and run as fast as you can and then just die, just like slowly die. And that could be, and that's like a three mile, a three mile run felt impossible. <laughs> so to now be like, I'm training right now for my first hundred mile race. And to make that transition, it was just like learning over time how to pace yourself. I remember the first time I figured out that like, I don't have to run as fast as I can. (laughs) Um, I could like scale it back a little bit. And that was like a huge revelation. Like, oh, you can just slow down. But it took a long time to like get to that point. You know, I'm not the fastest distance runner, but I do love just being out there. And I think what I really love about now being in the trail world and like running ultras is that there's so much more of an emphasis on like energy management and like the endurance aspect of just being out there for a long time, but also appreciating nature while you're doing it. And if that feels very much like where I'm at 
as a as an athlete. That's really beautiful. I do feel a lot of runners, um, distance runners and runners I know, everything is tied to performance only and PRing and a lot of of added pressure when we're not professional athletes. So to to hear that sounds like it's like centered in joy. Yeah. Yeah. Our our last guest, um, Amber Zimmerman, she was a very competitive runner and needed a break and actually started doing a lot of trail running. And she had the same sentiments about like enjoying the scenery and stepping away. And the process was just so different. And she found that joy again. So it's really cool to hear that from you too. I got to get out on the trails. (laughs) Yes. It's, it's special. And you know, the, the thing about it is you're still challenging yourself as much as you would on the road, but it's just a different set of challenges. So you can still really focus on performance, but it's a different type of focus. Jesse, you're a full-time art therapist or you were a full-time art therapist. What did you do in that role? And is there any like connections between your work as an art therapist and running? So I guess just to kind of get to why I even moved to New York. I So I went to art school in the Midwest. And while I was in art school pretty early on when I was, I think, still a freshman, maybe 19, I got involved with this uh, nonprofit called the Prison Creative Arts Project in Michigan, which was an organization of artists and writers who would work with um, people who were incarcerated um, by providing arts, arts and writing. And I was working specifically with young boys and girls who were living in deten- juvenile detention. Um, so we would on a weekly basis, like go to where they were living in the group home and then teach art classes. And it just, for me, like was probably the most fulfilling aspect what I was doing in art school. I think I went to art school because I had a a full scholarship to do that. But then I also found that being there felt like a little self-centered. If you're just like, for me, like just being focused on like making my own art all the time wasn't as fulfilling as it was teaching art and giving art to other people. So I think I've always, especially coming from a big family, I've always wanted to be of service to others. And that translates later to me being a coach and becoming an art therapist. But essentially, that work that I was doing with PCAP, um, later as I graduated, I ended up working as a teaching artist um, in Detroit at Wayne County Juvenile Detention Facility which was a maximum security facility for teenagers who were awaiting trial. So I was a teaching artist there and worked with an art therapist there. And I was like, oh, what what you're doing is so fascinating and impactful because it's one-on-one work and it's, it's more focused on helping people, but giving them art as a means of expression and healing. So I decided I wanted to study art therapy and one of the biggest places to study art therapy is New York City. Um, They have most of the programs in the country. Um, So I moved to New York and in 2003 
started studying here and then also was running um, alongside of that as a way of taking care of myself. And I became a practicing art therapist. I worked primarily in social justice work with young people. And also, I would say, highly traumatized group of young people. So it was definitely like a lot of young people that were dealing with experiencing complex trauma themselves, and then also maybe dealing with substance abuse and other issues. So it was a really intense um, period of time, but I also really loved that work a lot. I, I'm obsessed with teenagers. I just think it's, they're the best people. They're at such an interesting transition in their life of becoming adults. And they also really are actually quite open to adults supporting them, but I think often don't get that type of support. So I really loved that work a lot. And at the same time, I would bring it home with me because it was just so emotional. So running in particular, I always, almost always ran at night at that point. Running was like that decompression after, you know, spending a long day um, working with the clients that I had. It seems like you carried running as like a form of an outlet since the very beginning, like listening to your story, how you were young and you used running to get out of your house and just be by yourself. And with this incredible, very challenging role that I'm sure has a lot of emotions that stir up, like using the running again to to support yourself. Absolutely. And I'm sure we're going to talk about bridge runners, but the the outlet of running for me was it always was there and something i did individually probably i considered it jogging i don't know like i don't know at what point i was actually could call myself a runner but it was probably much later um so i probably like was just like yeah i'm going to go jog like around prospect park but it wasn't until i started running with a group that also that what running brought to me kind of shifted a little bit in that in being in a social environment. Yeah, I think, um, you know, what your experience and what you did with art. First of all, I think it's super cool. Like I did not know you were an artist before kind of like learning a little bit about your history. I like I'm a creative person, not like you, but that was really interesting and in how you put all your passions together to create this path for yourself. But um, I know when you moved to New York and you went to NYU, you were living in an area where like a lot of creatives kind of like hung out and would get together. And that's where you guys formulated your first run group. So for all of our listeners who might be new to New York, I would love for you to kind of explain what New York running was like back in early 2000s. And I know, Colleen, you were in New York around that time, too. So I'll let you guys talk about it. And that's pretty much how you guys met. Yeah, I met Jesse at uh, Orchard Street Runners. This is oh my goodness, are we going like circa 2012 or something? <laughs> I I don't know if you remember this, Jesse, but I remember meeting you the day that uh, I, Chantel had come to a few OSR runs. I was very big in that group. I lived in the East Village then, 
And it was it was such an amazing group of it was very small back then. But I, I remember that one day you came and I was like, hi, I'm Colin. You're like, hi, I'm Jesse. You just had such a warmth about you. I'm like, oh, I really want to get to know this person. She looks so cool. I'm so scared. <laughs> yes. Chantal, I mean, Chantal, one of my favorite per- people on the planet. We developed our friendship through Bridge Runners. And then, you know, Orchard Street Runners was a big piece of running um, in New York City. But I would, yeah, I for sure remember that time because it was so unique and special. Um, And I think, you know, just for anyone listening that's sort of wondering, like, what we're talking about, um, there was a an emergence of socially based running groups in New York City, starting with my, I mean, at least my understanding is starting with bridge runners in early 2003. And it was started by this guy, Mike Sace, who is an interesting character himself. He was a graffiti writer. Um, He was very immersed in the hip hop world in New York and the art world. And I met him because I was bartending in Nolita to put myself through grad school. Um, So I actually was moonlighting at night as a bartender. He lived on the block that I worked on and it was spring in Elizabeth. At that point, like the downtown scene of people who were musicians and creatives and artists and folks like that was, there was a lot happening like in that area. And so I had met him probably out in, well, he had come into the bar that I was at. So I would see him there. But also I very much was using nightlife as another escape. (laughs) So (laughs) So you were a partier, huh? (laughs) I was a party girl. And I, you know, I, my first boyfriend was a DJ when I was in art school. So like I was very accustomed to just nightlife and being out. I you were having the true New York experience. Yes. Like that, that was just like nightlife was normal for me, partying normal for me. So I feel like the partying was, was kind of starting to take over a little bit versus like the healthier aspect. And so Mike Sace, who had started this group called Bridge Runners, his famous story is that he was in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and he needed to pick up his son in the city and he couldn't get a cab. So he ran over the bridge because he was running late. And that was like when he discovered running. (laughs) And like started Bridge Runners um, shortly after that. But Basically, like he invited me a bunch of times and I was like, no. And then at one point I said yes and I showed up and it was just such a cool experience because it wasn't like, I mean, that first run in particular, we ran over the Manhattan Bridge into Brooklyn and then back over the Brooklyn Bridge into Manhattan. And I had never been on the bridges before and it was at night and it was dark and weird. And we we're going through all these strange like neighborhoods. And I was just like, oh, this is so cool. And also like, I've never ran four miles before. 
So I felt like very accomplished and it was a random group. It was like three guys uh, that met in Chinatown and I ran with them and that was like bridge runners. Um, and I, I just never stopped going. So, you know, I was, I was doing an interview about them yesterday and I was thinking about how we did that for seven years. <laughs> I was like, wow. And you never missed one run. To be honest, I really didn't like I that was like the that became my home because I also didn't have any family in New York. I moved here in my 20s. Like, I think I had like two friends, but one lived in the Bronx and the other friend was like somewhere else. So I really was like an orphan and just like working in school, like trying to make it happen. And and bridge runners became this like constant for me. And it was also like such weird characters, like not, not traditional runners. They were just like nightlife dudes and like graphic designers and like random people. So what I loved about it was just the unexpectedness and then seeing the city in a different way. And then on top of that, you were doing something healthy for yourself, but it was almost like the healthy part was the last thing it was like the other things were like meeting people and like you know having a space that felt like you were welcome and you're part of a team yeah yeah because back in 2003 like there weren't any clubs like that it was basically like your traditional like central parks your dashing whippids so then (laughs) this bridge runners kind of evolves out of nowhere and creates this like new scene like you're not seen running in central park and prospect park you're now doing this nightlife street run, which is cool and and unique at the time. I remember going on one. um, I went on a few bridge runner with Rashida. I went a few times with her. And one thing that I noticed, and this was 10 years ago, uh, first of all, it was like fun chaos. Like it was, I just remember like there was like a, we're going over the bridge, but we were jumping over like a barricade or something. (laughs) And then, and then we got across the bridge, but then we like stopped at a bar. (laughs) Yeah. Like, wow. I'm like, I'm like, so if you wanted to have a drink or you want to have a water, some people had shots, do what you want. And then we went back and I'm like, wow, that is an incredible experience. (laughs) It was so chaotic and fun. I think fun chaos is a great description. It you never knew what you were going to get, that's for sure. And it was also like like Mike Sace in particular wanted it to be like informative and like in some way like keeping like old New York culture alive. So then you would always stop and he would be like telling you like a random fact about this bathhouse or like this bar used to be that thing or you know it was just so you learned something on each run and it was yeah it was definitely chaotic but also even though I had a background of running you know track and field when I was younger I would never have considered myself good enough of a runner to like join like a track club you know like I I just didn't identify myself in that way So this was very approachable to me because they were, they did not look like runners and they were just freestyling it. Like there was no sort of like sense of giving anyone like real training advice at that time. (laughs) 
Later it evolved. One thing that I, I noticed with bridge runners, and I've never seen this, I never had seen before, I was on more like oh, even OSR or like structure clubs like Central Park, is at the end of the three runs that I had gone on, everybody waited until every single person came through. And I thought that was really beautiful. There was nobody who had to be left behind. And yeah. there was people on both sides and clapping. And it was, it was like everyone, everyone matters. Everyone's important. Everyone's like center, which was really beautiful. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, it, you know, I, in the projects I work on now, like we talk about inclusivity, like all the time, that was like the blueprint, I think around inclusivity and running, because the idea was like running should belong to anybody and especially people who don't look like runners or like don't identify. That's what bridge runners was for. It was like creating a space for people to get healthy um, and using this tool of running, but it was also like, Oh, you never ran before. Great. <laughs> We're so glad you're here. Um, like that was like the attitude was really embracing beginners and, it was a ragtag. We were a ragtag group of folks. And yeah, sometimes people would get, sometimes people would show up and they would get upset because we would wait for everyone to finish. So that meant like there were start, lots of starts and stops, but that was, that was the model was like, we're leave no one behind. I like that. I, you know, I, I read something about how running took you so many places. And one thing you've been really good at is finding gaps in running and creating those new spaces. And that's pretty much how Bridge Runners evolved. Obviously, with your partner, you were the main female kind of in that leadership role with Bridge Runners. Like, what were some of your takeaways from your involvement with Bridge Runners during that time in the running community? I think for me, like, the evolution was that at a certain point I was like, okay, bridge runners was once a week. And I was like, Oh, I want to get better at running. So I think I need to run more than once, you know, like that, like, but it took a while <laughs> to get to that point. But there, you know, like, I think I trained for my first marathon running once a week, which is kind of crazy to think about, but I just didn't know anything about it. And I, Actually, I miss that naivete of like going into something like that, not knowing what to expect. But yeah, like over time with Bridge Runners, a couple of things. One, I always just wanted more women to to show up and be in that space. Um, so I always felt like it was my job to encourage the women that were showing up to like run alongside of them, encourage them to come back. And then I actually, um, because we were sponsored at that time, there was a women's marathon in San Francisco just for women. And so I ended up, um, forming a group for people to a group of women to train for that. Um, and we actually put together a training plan and had more than one run a week. <laughs> um, we started doing endurance runs on the weekend and I was leading them through that. And that experience just kind of pushed me towards 
one, um, learning more, like becoming a coach myself, um, learning more about training principles, and then also just wanting to give people the tools to like go further. Um, and I think that was what bridge runners did for me was like that very first run ever. I ran the furthest I'd ever ran, which was four miles, which was inconceivable to me prior to running it. And then it was like, now you're running six miles and that's the longest you've ever ran. And now you're doing eight and now you're doing a half marathon. And I think to be able to give that to people where they're literally like breaking these barriers for themselves. That's why I was, I became interested in like training and like the training journey and giving people the training process. But I also wanted to do that for people who were like new to running that were maybe coming into it like brand new and fresh as adults. And in particular, I think I always had an interest in women um, and supporting women on that journey. Is social media a large part of you reaching out during that time? Like how were you grabbing new people who weren't part of the running culture at that time? I'm just curious. So that's the funny thing is like, when you think about it, we were, we started this in like 2004, 2003, 2004. Mm -hmm. Social media really came into play later. So there were a lot of years where it was like, maybe Facebook or like, I think at one point we had a text system that people signed up for and we could send them text messages <laughs> but there wasn't like the social media of today where you were connecting with other people that came much later that was like eight years later um so a lot of it was also kind of cool because it was word of mouth and people were bringing friends and friends of friends and yeah, it, like you never knew who was going to be there. Also, it meant that we didn't document it very well. <laughs> so like, I remember Tony would show up with like disposable cameras and like actually <laughs> pictures. Like I have so many photos that like, and then he would come the next week and like give you a print. Um, but yeah, like at that time, it really was like, hey, you had a great experience bring your friend back or come bring a friend next time. And that's how it was. It was really like word of mouth in the beginning. There's something really beautiful about that time that, I mean, I, I, I use social media all the time, but there's something really beautiful about word of mouth and friend telling a friend and, you know, maybe not as promoted as things are now, just centered on people coming, showing up, having a good time, not taking photos and the photos are in your head. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, that that's the thing is like you weren't you also weren't documenting the whole experience, so you were really like present in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm all about that. I barely use my phone now because I like to just be in the moment, but it's wild. I'll let other people capture the moment, <laughs> but I'm in it fully. Um, and just to keep things moving, so I know right after Bridge Runners, you branched off and started Black Roses. Like, what kind of ignited that change and that shift? And I, I know you probably started with Knox, right? Yeah. Um, Knox and I had both been at Bridge Runners, and he had actually been instrumental in 
supporting me with this women's training group that was training for the marathon in San Francisco. So, you know, it was interesting when we ended up starting Black Roses, it was kind of based around that idea, that concept of like, let's take a dedicated group of people. They can apply to be in the training group and we're going to train them for goal races. Um, and we'll give them like all the trainings like to do those goals. And so ended up being very much like focused on performance and pretty much the, the structure was track tempo long runs. And I did that for two years. Like the focus was supposed to be like primarily on women. Um, so I think we had more women in the group than men. It did become a co-ed, um, training group. And when I ended up leaving after two years, that was when I decided like, I just want to work with women. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and so I like went my own way, unsponsored, kind of stepped away from brand affiliation and started girls run NYC which is now eight and a half years old and also still um, unbranded, unaffiliated to brand. I think that was important to me. And I co-lead that now with Rashida and uh, Rashida Herndon and Amira Omar. Um, And that's my, that's my pride and joy is girls run. One thing I'm noticing so I being being on um, Orchard Street Runners, which was so fun and so much just joy, and you know, they're, I don't even think they're in, or at that point they were not in uh, New York Roadrunner or any kind of structured team. And then going to Central Park Track Club, where it was like the opposite. <laughs> it was so structured, and you show up for practice, and Tony's yelling at you to get in your pace group, and you know, you're just focusing on your pace. I sense that you have both, like you have structure and performance tied to performance, but performance means different things. Um, you want to talk a little bit, how do you, how do you kind of blend both of those things together so perfectly? Yeah, I love that question. Um, so I am a performance coach now. My sort of philosophy around performance is that it's not just about pace. It's not just about personal bests all the time. It's not just about speed. That performance is putting all the pieces together um, that help a person be their best athlete on any given day. So looking at it from like the holistic um, framework of it's important to be fueling correctly and nutrition is absolutely essential mindset is an important piece strength is an important piece what you're wearing matters like the strategy involved in how whatever race or distance you're training for um that putting all of those pieces together to me is performance and so i like to be able to give people tools so that they can be their best selves um approaching whatever their goal is but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be like the fastest person there, <laughs> you know? So I, I think being able to provide performance concepts and training to everyday people is 
what for me, what Black Roses was like playing with, although it ended up becoming very competitive, um, which was something that in the end, I was like, we don't have an entry point anymore um, that feels accessible to like the average person. Like people were like, I have to train to join your group. And and that was sort of like what I wanted to get away from. It's like, I would love uh, there to always be an entry point and for an absolute beginner to be able to show up and then start them on their journey. You know, right now with Girls Run, the structure of it itself is really designed to be a place for fellowship. Um, but it's also an entry point or it's like a gateway because I can then direct any of those people to other training groups if they want to do more. I think what we've seen with the evolution, even with Adidas runners, because now Amira is the head coach of Adidas for New York City and Rashida helps. Um, she's a, a pacer and a leader at Adidas runners as well. Like with girls run, we're often like, oh, okay, so now you started your running journey and like maybe you want to do a little bit more. You can go over here. They've got long runs. They've got tempo runs. We have hill work. Like you can do all those things here. So yeah, for me, like performance is important. And at the same time, I also want it to be accessible and I want it to be something that like an absolute beginner could eventually like find their way on that path if they wanted to. I love that, that that word performance just means different things to different people. I think I'm learning that now. For a long time, the word performance was probably tied more to like finish times and, you know, PRs or that was the goal. And after having my baby and not being able to run for a year and a half and then literally jogging 800 meters was like a big win. I was really proud of myself or not having my pelvic area on fire every time I run or all the other things that I was dealing with. And I, I've lost a lot of speed, but I'm the happiest. Mm -hmm. I go out. I'm like, Oh, I don't have any, I just ran like three, you know, first it was like three miles similar to your story. And it, my whole definition of performance is completely shifted now. And I'm in a much better place mentally. Colleen, I remember when you were in Boston and you would like call me and say, I walk and ran today for 10 minutes. I'm like, yay. Yeah, it's just the whole definition shifts with big life-changing events, at least for me. So it's beautiful to see that work being done on teams with different people that everyone feels like they're 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 winning because they are. Absolutely. And I, you know, we're gonna always evolve too. Um, my goal, and I think we talk about this with girls run and Adidas runners is sustainability in terms of like, we would love you to have running forever. And so thinking about the big picture as well as like this season is important, but then what's also after this season and that we will always evolve as people. So like, our way of approaching running or how running fits into our life will most likely evolve too. What would you say your coaching philosophy is? I wrote about this recently. I take a few individual clients every season. And right now I'm actually coaching one marathoner and three ultra marathoners. <laughs> and they're all women. And 
I think my philosophy is really helping people dream big, have big goals for themselves, but also being able to break it down to the bite-sized pieces and then really encouraging them to do the work. Um, And that you absolutely will find challenges in consistency um, and consistently showing up, but that consistency in showing up is what is going to get you to that large goal. So I have one athlete right now who is running the perimeters of all Mm -hmm. the boroughs and she just started ultra running this year and has already accomplished two boroughs. And it's been really exciting to work on this project with her because when she brought it to me initially, I was like, whoa, it's just so such a big, ambitious project. But like, I know you can do it. And I know you can do it based off what I've seen you doing so far. But like, how do we break this down and like actually keep you healthy and safe and be able to achieve something big? So, yeah, I think my coaching philosophy is definitely like I want to empower people through running. And I'm hoping that that also is translating into the other areas of their life. That's beautiful. Jess, I know you most from your work with Adidas. And we haven't really touched on it yet, but what are, are you still working with Adidas now? Like what is your role with the company? I'm just curious to see where you're at these days. Yeah. I, so at any person's (laughs) trajectory, I guess as an athlete, there's a point where you're like, Oh, I guess I have to be a coach now, or maybe I should be a coach now. And for me now, my next trajectory was like, all right, now I'm like, going to step a little bit back and lead teams from a strategic standpoint. So I lead Adidas runners communities for North America this year, um, which includes New York, Los Angeles, and Atlanta. And I get to do more strategy work. I get to spend a lot of time in meetings, (laughs) um, but really advocating for communities and the people that we serve to the brand. So I I essentially am like kind of that in-between person, which leads my teams that are on the ground, which are comprised of a number of different coaches and captains. And then also being consistently um, a voice for the people within the brand um, so that we're providing the most authentic community experiences that we can. So it's a really cool role to be in. It also is different for me because I'm used to being the coach on the ground. So taking a step back in that way and having like a a vision around strategy has been a cool opportunity for me. Definitely a new challenge, a big challenge. I feel honored to be in that position, especially as a woman. Um, And just have to say like, in my experience working with Adidas, to be hired as a head coach, as a woman, to be able to hire in more women as coaches. I think our team uh, has four women coaches in New York and three in LA right now. So we're really like pushing the envelope um, and to have a brand support that and like recognize that to me feels important. So glad to be here. You're like the perfect person for a role like that. I mean, with your experience being one of the first 
female leaders in the New York running community and to now be spreading that in your new role. I think it's amazing. And I know part of the work that you want to do is to continue to support women coaches. So have you, outside of your Adidas role, are there other initiatives that you're doing to kind of help grow uh, female coaches in the running community? Yeah, I, so in particular, I've been supporting women who, um, run with me to go after coaching certifications. (laughs) So there are a few people on my team who've gotten certified, um, in the last year or so, which feels great, um, to just have more women sort of take those steps. I'm believing that there's more that can be done. And recently was on a team um, of women coaches for Take the Bridge. Darcy Budworth had thrown a special version recently called Take Women Take the Night. So it was a, a women's only race. It was like 150 um, women. And the format was that you had to race as a team. Um, so no one was allowed to finish by themselves. You had to finish either in pairs of two or in fours. So I was on a team that we put together that was all women coaches in different spaces with different brands. And that was really cool. And I think that I think there's more work that can be done in creating a network for women that are coaching um, to be able to even just talk about what some of the challenges are that we're facing um, as coaches, but also potentially um, maybe uplift more women in the space. It's on my mind for sure. Yeah, you talk a lot about in- inclusivity and in running, and your work is clearly centered in creating uh, safe running spaces for for all runners. Thinking back to like when you came here till now, do you think New York City has made progress in this area? Um, you know, I think we move forward and backward and forward and backward, and that's sort of the nature of human existence. I would have imagined to see more women leading groups. And I still feel like it's not necessarily where it could be. But I am seeing an effort in many clubs to have equal leadership. Um, So raising up women leaders within the group to be co-leaders, which I think is important. I think that we are in an interesting place right now with everyone has a run club and because there are so many that now it feels like they've like specialized again. So that like a lot of the clubs are like, we only have this type of runner or we only do this type of thing. But that's also like interesting because I'm like, well, there's technically there is so many spaces that there's probably a space for everyone somewhere. But are is each club inclusive? No. Is that a problem? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, in some cases, maybe. I think for me, when I think about like Adidas runners in particular, our goal is to be providing space for anyone and everyone who wants to show up um, within a value-based <laughs> community, which is, you know, expectation, high expectations for how you show up for other people. But we still always talk about it that like, if you look around the group, there's always someone missing, there's always a group not being represented. And I think it's important to recognize that and try to ask ourselves the questions why, 
what are we doing that's not inviting to the people who are not here? So I think that that is a constant. Like if you're if you really are trying to make a space feel open, safe, welcoming, including everyone, like you have to constantly be evaluating if you are actually doing that. Just because you have the intention doesn't mean it is actually doing that. Yeah, yeah I totally agree. I think talking about inclusivity, you know, women is a large focus, but also having representation for minority groups. You know, being a woman of color, there's not a ton of people that look like me that are running races, or if they are, they're not in the front winning, you know? So mm-hmm. I pride myself in being that person that they can see themselves in. And that's what kind of keeps me going in the sport. A couple months ago, we launched a group called Running Sisters Social, which Cheryl from Brooklyn Track Club pretty much ignited with a couple other leaders from the community. And it's a great space for us to be in a room where everyone looks like us and we can connect, even though we're on different running clubs. So that's been really fun to kind of see where this group evolves. But it's nice to have that space for ourselves to feel like we are seen, basically. So exactly. um, Yeah, there definitely needs to be more work. And it does take time. And like you said, it keeps going back and forth. But there's definitely room for improvement there as well. Absolutely. I think that being self-aware piece is crucial. And that self-reflective piece, speaking as, as a white woman, asking myself with Distance Project as well, like who's being centered? Who's not being centered? Why is that? And ensuring that I'm continuing to ask these questions because you know, it's it's not a safe space for everyone and it's not an inclusive space for everyone. People like you, Jesse, though, have have really I, I watched you for years. And I mean, when I got pregnant, I had time and I wanted to get my coaching certificate. Um, and I did. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was going to want to really focus on, you know, people who wanted to break three in the marathon or, you know, but it's not my focus. It's not what my heart is telling me. It's more women who are dealing with postpartum depression and women who are for the first time wanting to run a 5k and, and, and the clients I have right now, it's it's just so much more rewarding to, to support people in any way that I can um, and help build that safe space by continuing to ask those questions of myself. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. I love that. I think that, you know, running is um, a powerful tool and even in being a running coach, like it's so much bigger than running. (laughs) And especially if you're working one-on-one, like you're providing so much more than just running um, for people. So I love that. Yeah. When you moved to New York in 2003, did you ever expect this to be your life? Like everything you've accomplished from then till now, like I'm sure this none of this was expected or planned. Absolutely not. It's funny because today when I was coming in my building, the super was like, hey, when's your race? Because he sees me always like going out to train. And I was like, oh, it's this weekend. He's like, and I was like, then there's another one next weekend. And he was like, oh, wow, you're living the good life. And he was like, do you have sponsors? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I do. And it was funny because it's like, I was like, technically, I guess I'm a professional athlete. And 
I, it's just a funny thing to think because no, I would have not imagined that for myself. Um, I would not have imagined being here in my wildest dreams, but yeah, I think my recommendation at least is like, if you love something, just, just keep doing it. And there's so many people like along the way, unfortunately, they were like, why do you run so much? Or like, oh, all you do is running or like, you know, there, there's, there were naysayers and I was like, who cares? I like it. Like I'm not getting paid. That's the other thing is like, I was also doing this, not getting paid for most of my life. So to, to now be on the other side where I'm actually getting paid to run or coach runners is like, wow, it feels great. It's amazing. You know, I'd say I'm living the dream, but I also did it unpaid for like 15 years. So I did it because I loved it. I do it because I love it. And I, you know, that's the other thing is like, if you really like something a lot, it's worth investing in. It's worth putting the time in whether it pays or not. Definitely. You're so busy with Adidas and, and Girls Run New York City. I want to just ask about your art. Are you still making art? Are you still involved in the art world? And in what capacity? And is there any connection to running? Yeah, I'm still painting. I developed like a little bit of a different painting process during COVID, again, for mental health <laughs> reasons. And I started doing these like watercolor, like paintings based off of photographs that I'd taken from trail races. Um, and it kind of evolved from there, which is that I've done this like series of paintings around trail races. <laughs> and uh, I do that for fun. I do it on my kitchen table. Like I don't have a studio or anything, but it, it's for me. And I also would say like my social media is very much like a mood board for myself too. Like I like taking photos of people, places and things. And that for me, that keeps my eye creative, I think. So I am that person that is like snapping photos like on <laughs> runs um, or like on my walk or on my ride for inspiration. And and I usually like share a lot of that out on my social media. So yeah, it's like for me, like my art practice is purely just for my own enjoyment. I'm glad you're able to spend time to, to focus on that. That's so important, you know, because it's a passion of yours. But one thing I have to ask you, ever since we've been on this this call, I've been seeing all your tattoos. So how many do you have and what was the inspiration behind them? Do they tell a story? Oh, wow. I have no count. I have lost count because they do kind of weave together. You probably have seen my arms. Are... Yeah, they look so good. Thanks. I have just from the elbow down, both arms and hands. Um, but I've got a back piece and, and my ribs are totally done. But basically, I also leaned in around 2021, where I was like, you know what, I used to try to cover all my tattoos up because I worked in school setting and things used to be more conservative, like mm -hmm. when I started my career. So like having a visible tattoo was not really acceptable in the early late 90s, early 2000s, and things have changed a lot. And so I came to a point where I was like, you know what, if someone doesn't want to hire me because I have a visible tattoo, like I'm going to 
just like go as visible as possible. I'm going onto my hands. (laughs) It was very freeing because I was like, this is me like finally just saying like, I am committing myself to trusting that who I am and the work that I do is valuable and not my appearance. It shouldn't matter what someone thinks about my tattoos or not. And if someone doesn't want to work with me because I have hand tattoos, then that's not somewhere that I want to work. Um, So yeah, it was like a real commitment to, I think, living an alternative lifestyle. You go, girl. (laughs) Yeah, so now you're showing up as your authentic self. That's so freeing. Yes, exactly. I love that we're able to highlight all the amazing things that you've done and are doing in the running community today. If people want to get involved in any of these running organizations or with the work that you're doing with Girls NYC, how can they reach you and learn more about it? Yeah, absolutely. So Girls Run NYC is an open workout every Wednesday for those who identify as women. If you follow us on Instagram, we post if we're not meeting. Otherwise, we're always meeting at McCarran Track at 6 p.m. It is an open workout. It is all levels. It's typically about three-ish miles. And then, you know, with Adidas Runners, um, we've got communities, New York, LA, Atlanta. You can find any of those in the Adidas Running app. But also, if you just want to follow me, you can also find all those things in my bio. Um, so my Instagram is Jesse Zappo. It's J-E-S-S-I-E-Z-A-P-O. And the link in my bio has like how to join any of those groups. Feel free to follow along. Thank you so much, Jesse. Um, just being such a leader in the community. And it was such a pleasure to talk with you today. I there were so many things when I started to research you a little bit for the for the podcast. Like I I did not know about your work in the prisons prison system. I did not know that you worked in the public school, similar to me. I did not know you were one of eight children. Um just a beautiful, passionate person. And yeah, I'm just happy that we had we could make this space to to talk more detail. Thank you so much. I I really appreciate it. This was um a fun conversation and really excited that you're making this space for people. Thank you. And we you might see us at one of your runs soon, right, Rolanda? You got to come to Brooklyn. Well, I actually spend a lot of time in Atlanta now, which Jesse, you have no idea about. Um, but my fiance moved down here for a job. So I actually heard that Adidas Runners just started in Atlanta. So I might have to check it out. Are you going to come down to lead any of the runs in the next couple weeks or months? Amazing. So the next one in Atlanta, September 21st, it's a partnership with Atlanta Track Club and the Beltline Run Club. Amira is going to be there. So I could definitely connect you, um, but I'll be back again in October. All right. So any Atlanta listeners, I will be at that run on September 21st and I will mark my calendar. Yay. Bye, Jesse. Thank you, guys. 